Bibles now, if you have brought your Bible with you this morning. I'm going to be uh, jotting around a few verses for the readings, um, but Mike will bring up as many as he can. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of um, see if you can guess what I'm preaching on just from the readings, unless you've read your notice sheet. Gives you an advantage. Acts 2, just a couple of verses. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as had need. Acts 4, just 32 for a few verses. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as had need. And then from 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians, the second letter. Going to be reading from chapter 8 and then a bit from chapter 9. So chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And then just from chapter 9, reading from verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Any bright spark? Get the gist. It's our vision series. We've been working through the vision of the church. And the purpose of this is just to, together, as a church, we own this vision that we believe God gave us many years ago. And that we will seek to fulfill it as a body together. And over the past weeks, we've been uh, focusing on discipleship. Different aspects of discipleship different spiritual um, disciplines. And last week we looked at the question of who needs the church? And hopefully we all came to the conclusion that we all do. We all need the church. Certainly the world needs a church on fire for Jesus. Certainly those who do not know Jesus yet needs a church on fire for Jesus. And the believers we need to be a church on fire for Jesus. We are God's mission agency, his rescue team. And Jesus is coming back with and for his church one day. This week we had our AGM meeting and it was really, really exciting just to hear all that God is doing among us. And we had a, a report. In the, in the old days, we used to have on the AGM, everyone who represented a group in the church would give a report. We don't have the time anymore. We would have to have AGMs that lasted a week and more. But we've produced um, something on paper or email that you can read through all the sort of ministries of the life of the church. And that's fantastic. All the ways that God is using us to reach out. Fulfilling the vision that he's given to us. And it's incredible to think, and forgive me because I'm getting old and I'm getting more nostalgic, you know. But I keep thinking back, you know, the good old days and all that kind of thing. But I do think back to the folk that I first met when I came to the church. Folk like Alice Benfield, who is without a doubt one of my heroes of faith. And to think of that handful of people who were part of the church many years ago, if they had sort of sat in our AGM and hear, heard all the ministries, all the activities of the life of the church, I mean, Alice would have been gobsmacked. I mean, she wouldn't have said that, but she would have been. She would have been gobsmacked from just a handful of folk 30 or so years ago to the multi-ministries multi-congregations that we are now. Since 1996, we've had the privilege of witnessing 195 baptisms. That is incredible. It's not enough, but it is incredible. We've seen folk come to faith in Jesus, and every time one comes, we rejoice. 
because it is the best. Sometimes it feels like we're sort of mining for them and it's hard work and we dig and dig and we get one out. It's great. But I want to hit a rich seam where we see people coming to the Lord day in, day out, week in, week out. We're praying for revival. It's part of our vision. I remember on our, uh, one of our previous Alpha courses, uh, talking to one of our guests on the Alpha course. I don't know how we got onto it. It wasn't a subject we normally cover. Uh, but he asked me about my salary and how I got paid. Uh, didn't ask me how much I got paid, but I would have gladly told him. And how did the church fund itself? And so I shared a little bit, just the two of us were chatting. And I said, well, actually, the church is financed by the offerings that the church gives. And if Alice would have been gobsmacked, this person was absolutely gobsmacked. And uh, when I told him that the budget we're looking at this year was 190 grand for the church, I mean, if if a mouth could hit the floor, bang, it went. And again, if, if, if Alice... Alice used to tell me the story that when she took the collection home, it was about two pounds a week, and she put it under her bed. That's where the treasurer kept the money. We still do, but no, we don't. No, we don't do that. And when I talked about the renovations, remember the the church building? And we renovated it. It cost about £170,000. And the church that wasn't huge then paid it off in three years. If a chin could get any lower, this guy's chin was getting through the floor. Amazing. And financing two church plants, which uh, financially speaking, because we supported a full-time minister as well as all the costs of rental and things like that, and setting up and buying equipment and data projectors, about £40,000 per plant. All coming out of this amazing group of people. I mean, I'm beginning to get gobsmacked just telling you about it all. And he looked at me and said, all covered by the offerings. <laughs> no. That ain't going to work. I said, well, that's not the only way people give. People give in lots of different ways to the life of the church. I said, yeah, all salaries, all equipment, all mission, all the bills, all the upkeep of the buildings, all the literature over the overseas mission that we support. And the church gives away over 10% of what's given to other things. Amazing. Because when we give to the church, our giving goes further than ourselves. It goes around the world. Different agencies and things we support. And I know this is a fact that this church over the years has excelled in the grace of giving. Guy Chevreau, who spoke at our last Cornerstone Summer Conference, uh, wrote a book called Vital Signs. And as ministers across Cornerstone, we have used it as our book club. uh, I think it was the last book we read together. And... um, 
He describes the marks, the signs of a healthy church. And he just listed them in this book. And we spent time going over them as church leaders. Firstly, worship was a priority of a healthy church. Secondly, he writes, leadership, good leadership, is a, is a mark of a healthy church. Mission as the priority of the church marks out the church as healthy. Unity within a church marks out a church as healthy. And then his fifth one was generosity marks out a church as healthy. And he said in all his travels, and that's what he does, and he travels, he's an itinerant preacher. In all his travels, the healthiest, happiest, and holiest churches were those that were generous, that had an open hand, not a clenched fist. He said, I'd never been to a healthy church that was a stingy church, and I've never been to an unhealthy church that was generous. They seem to go hand in hand. And generosity not just applies to financial things, but of giving of time and service and ministry. He also said that he'd met some leaders, church leaders, that were too intimidated to talk about giving in their churches because their churches paid their salaries. And if a leader upsets the church, the giving may go down. Well, we don't do that here, do we? I'm always upsetting you, aren't I, really? One way or another. If we preach the Bible, we have to preach about money and giving. If you've been here long enough, you'll have heard me preach right through Matthew's gospel, right through Luke's gospel, right through Mark's gospel. Jesus has a lot to say about generosity and giving. We have covered it. You may have forgotten. It's amazing how much teaching there is in in the scriptures about this area of giving and money. There is more teaching in, in the New Testament about money than about prayer. It would be ludicrous to say, we don't teach on prayer here. It's not majored on in the New Testament. Out of the parables, 13 of the 41 parables of Jesus, a third had to do with money, two about prayer. Back to the question that the chap on Alpha asked me, how is it financed? People give? Why? Their money? I said, that's, that's the key thing. When you belong to Jesus, you don't see it anymore as your money. You suddenly realize it's all been given to you. It's a gift. Everything that we have ultimately comes from God. Every good gift that we have comes from God. And one way to worship and celebrate and to show our gratitude is by giving back. To God, what is already his. What a deal. He gives us everything, and we just give back a little. I saw this cartoon this week. I should have copied it, but it was this, uh, there was this man. He's a uh, cartoon, big man, and he's, he's counting all his money. And he says, what I do is I throw it all up in the air, and what God wants, he keeps, and what comes down again is mine.
When Jesus encountered people, things changed. Again and again, you see stories how Jesus encountered people. Zacchaeus, when he was in Jericho, he met this, this little guy who was up a tree. He was a tax collector. As soon as he met with Jesus, he said, I'm going to give half of all I have away. One of the remarkable signs of the Spirit's presence after Pentecost was the extraordinary generosity of the early church. That's why I read those few verses from Acts. They had all things in common. They were willing to sell possessions to meet needs. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own. There was no one in need within the community. And that should be the same. There should be no one amongst us in dire need. And if you are in that kind of need, then come and share with us as the leaders. Because there should not be that amongst the fellowship of God's people. Some of the wealthier ones, on occasion it said, sold fields and houses from time to time. Barnabas, who was, uh, had a nickname of being an encourager in Acts 4, he sold a field. And he brought the money to the apostles' feet. And he didn't give them a letter saying, this is to be used for this. He just gave it. Acts chapter 5, there was a couple in the early church called Ananias and Sapphira. If you've never heard about them, Acts 5, amazing read. They gave as well. But they lied about what they were giving. And they didn't have to lie because they didn't have to give. But what they did is they gave and said, this is how much. We've given this much. But they kept some of it back. And they lied and they died. The awesome presence of God in that early church community fell upon them. They should not have lied. Because they were under no compulsion. But contrast that with Barnabas. Acts 4, Acts 5. And in 2 Corinthians, the passages that I read this morning, Paul talks and teaches the Corinthian church and us down through the centuries on the principles of giving. In fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it is probably the most developed teaching on giving in the New Testament. The principles of generosity. When he says in verse 7, excel in this grace of giving, just as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, excel in this grace of giving. And I simply want to tease out some of those principles and apply them uh, to ourselves. Giving to God's work is a privilege, it's a privilege that we can actually be involved in that tangible way in seeing the kingdom of God expand. But I need you to hear this. It was voluntary. Paul encourages the Corinthians in their generosity, in their giving, and he makes a really good case. But he says quite clearly, I am not commanding you. This is not a law but a grace. Giving isn't something that you give under compulsion. Giving is not a church taxation system. Whereas if you come through the doors, you you have to pay to come. I mean, that would be outrageous, wouldn't it? 
It is not a commanded thing by Paul here. But Paul is persuasive, isn't he? It's not a commandment, but compared to the Macedonians who are really generous, and compared to Jesus who gave you everything, of course you'd want to give, wouldn't you? But it's not a commandment. Don't give out of guilt. Give out of gratitude. Give out of love. Love for God. You want to see his kingdom come. I remember visiting a church in Brazil where I grew up, but this was when I went back a bit later on, late teenager. I visited this church and uh, it was great to be among God's people and they came to the offering. I hadn't noticed that at the back of the church, they had a big board and it showed the weekly offering and what was needed to meet the budget. Displayed. And underneath was every member's name and what they'd given that week. And underneath that sheet was what they gave the week before. All through the year. Tim's in favor of it. <laughs> and, and I thought, gosh. And it's countercultural, isn't it? I mean, we're British. That's countercultural. Imagine if we had it. But it kind of made me start thinking I think you end up giving for the wrong reason. It shames those who haven't given much. It exalts those who gave more. Not allowing for the circumstances. And breeds competition. Are you top of the giving? So we don't do that and we're not going to. If you ever wonder, all the gifts and offerings given here are confidential. Edward and I and the leadership team don't know who gives what. The only person who knows what is given is the treasurer. And I think that's a good thing. Because I know that I'm a human being. I know, surprise, surprise. And if I knew what every individual gave in this church... With all the intention of my heart to be pure and holy and, you know, above all that, I can guarantee, sorry, I'm admitting this weakness in me. I'd be, oh, they give that. And they give that. Because that's just human nature, isn't it? Nobody knows. And I think that's the best way. But Paul makes it clear giving is a privilege. A privilege, not a demand. Secondly, he giving should be generous. Without a doubt, it should be generous. He does everything to encourage the church in Corinth to excel in this grace of giving. 
And so he talks about the Macedonian church, giving despite their trials, giving despite their extreme poverty. Their joy overflowed and welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond. Paul is very subtle, isn't he? Not commanding, but seeking to inspire. And then to that end, he presents that ultimate example in verse 9 of Jesus. Though he was rich in heaven's glory, he became poor. The only thing that Jesus owned was the shirt, the tunic, the cloth that he wore. And when he was crucified, even that was gambled for. Because he was crucified naked. Nothing. And for our sakes, Jesus became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. And we are. We are rich. We can never outgive God. I encourage you to try if you want to. Go try outgive God. You never will. He gave everything for us. And everything we have is his. We who are in Christ can be generous with our material wealth because it's not our ultimate concern, is it? Our ultimate, if, if material wealth is our ultimate concern, that's what we will worship. You worship what you put most value on, what you wor- worth most. And if material things are what you worship the most, then you have dethroned Jesus. And exalted wealth, which doesn't last. We serve Jesus and not material things. Jesus said as much, you cannot serve two masters, cannot serve God and money. Paul writes in uh, his letter to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil because it seems to have, it carries something. That's so destructive. When you love money, it carries something that is very hard. Easy test, does money control us or do we control money? Very hard when we live in an age of debt, isn't it? Does money control us or do we control money? It's really hard. John Wesley said the best way to stay clear of the addictive power of money is to be generous. When Jesus commented on the widow who was putting into the offering and she just put a few coins in compared to the rich who were putting in big gifts, Jesus said she gave more. She gave more. Thirdly, our giving will be proportionate. What do I mean by this? I want to be really sort of practical. How much should I give? And who should I give it to? And not everyone can give the same amount. Paul encourages everyone to consider and pray about what they can give. And what you ultimately give is between you and God. Another question. Should we tithe? Give a tenth? Back to God. 
tenth of our income. It's interesting that the New Testament writers never used that word, even though the practice is warmly commended and commanded in the Old Testament. Paul actually avoids using the word. He encourages giving that is voluntary, generous, proportionate, and planned. And he is at pains to avoid any sense of legalism in this, of compulsion. And I believe that's presumably why he avoids the T word. I love John Wesley and his approach to this. No, he said, we are not under law. We are under grace. We don't have to tithe. We can give more. Good old Wesley. He had a very practical approach to giving to avoid legalism. He was brought up in a legalistic system. He looked at his income, decided how much he needed to live on, and gave away the rest. Different time, different pressures, but no legalism. Different challenges today, but giving is still a spiritual discipline. As I said to you earlier, I cannot speak for anybody else because I don't know what anyone else gives in this church. And we're not legalistic about it. But I'm a simple person. And I give by standing order to the church. Because, you know, it's just easier for me. So my salary comes in and a tenth of it goes immediately back to the church. Because that's the way I do it. I'm not saying that's the way you have to do it. And then anything else, other projects, other missionaries and other things that I want to give, I give. Everyone's different. I know that the church here, for the first time, well, in a long time, we're running at a deficit. And we have gone through years of real blessing at in the past, where we had a surplus. And then we've invested in more and more ministry, more and more staff. We do more and more other things. And within a few years, that excess that we had will be gone. So just in a practical way, we need to at times review our giving thing for me is the challenge. I set up a standing order years ago and then I forget about it. And maybe a year or two years goes by and I haven't reviewed it. Can I increase it? Do I have to decrease it? So one of the problems with standing orders, isn't it? They just get forgotten about. I would encourage us all, if we can, to review our giving We're having a gift day in June, and the giving is to try and wipe out the deficit. Over £20,000 in deficit for this year projected. We're going to see if we can wipe that out in a gift day. But we're just giving to God. Not giving to the deficit, we're giving to God. But it's proportionate. Not everyone can give the same. We understand that circumstances are different. We understand that. Please, don't move out of this building feeling guilty. 
Sometimes a preacher preaches and someone only hears one thing and it was the one thing they didn't want to hear and he didn't even say it in the first place. Fourthly, giving should be planned. I believe that that's true. Paul outlined that in his first letter to the Corinthians. He encouraged them to, on the first day of the week, which was the Sunday, each of you should set aside an amount of money in keeping with his income. So how can we give here at CCBC? The simplest way is to, when we take up the offering, to put cash or a check in the weekly offering or put it in monthly. We can provide people with special envelopes that you can put your giving in. So you don't have to put actual cash that can be seen visibly. You can put it in an envelope and put it in. Obviously, the best way, most uh, productive way to give in this church, if you're an income taxpayer, is to gift aid it. And we have gift aid forms. And again, you may have taken a gift aid form away and you've forgotten about it. It's under a drawer or under the bed or wherever you place things. Or the man drawer, if you're familiar with that phrase. Or a lady's handbag. You never know what's in there. But if you're paying income tax, it's not going to cost you any more and the church gets 25% back on that giving. It's the best way. If you filled out a form and then used one of these, everything you put in this, we get gift aid back. The wonderful thing about this is you can have one for every week. And even if you miss a week, the next week, you can put them both in. Because that happens sometimes, doesn't it? You, you miss a couple of weeks you haven't given. So that's a great way of doing it, isn't it? And there's also bankers' orders forms there. And uh, we want to be really practical. Next two weeks, we're going to have these available, and there'll be someone here to help you fill them out if you've never filled one out. And sometimes it's just filling out a form. I hate filling out forms. I look at forms, and I think, oh, I don't know what to write. There'll be someone here this week and next week. If you've never filled out one and you want to, gift aid or a standing order, you'll be very welcome to. But there's no compulsion. But I think giving should be planned. Finally, giving to God is about giving yourself to God. It's about worship. It's about acknowledging that God is the most important part of your life. And Paul talks about giving from the heart. He says in verse 5, Speaking about the generous Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Uh, it's as if as they were offering themselves. It's as if when the offering went round, not only did they put something in, but they came up with it. I, I want to be, you know, if I could jump in the barn, I want to offer myself. I want to give myself to God's work. You see, it is possible to give a limited or even a generous offering and ask the Lord to bless it and use it, but then treat the rest of our lives and all our possessions as if they were nothing to do with God. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is whole life discipleship. I know it's dangerous, isn't it, to sing the songs. Some of the songs we sing make amazing declarations, don't they? I give everything to God. My all. 
What if Jesus asks for more? What if Jesus takes seriously and lays claim to all my worldly wealth? He did that once. Do you remember there's a story in the Gospels where he meets a young man who was really rich. And the man says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, you know, I, I, I do. I kept, I've kept all those. And Jesus sees right through him. It's right through him. He says, I know what the issue is here. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <clears throat> Wish I hadn't come and asked you now. I was kind of just showing off because I kind of knew the answer. How do I inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments, of course. Jesus saw right through him. This is your stumbling block. Doesn't say that to everyone, does he? But occasionally he may say it. And occasionally he may put his finger on something and say, this is becoming too important. This is becoming a household God. This needs to be put right. Of course, he calls us all to be good stewards of what we have. And when we give, we give cheerfully. It is a joy to give, a real joy. When Paul talks in chapter 9 of if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, I think that is a biblical truth. You're stingy, you'll reap stinginess. If you sow generously, you will reap generosity. And each of us should give what he's decided to give in his heart, cheerfully, not reluctantly out of compulsion, but the literal understanding, as far as I know in the Greek here, is to give hilariously. We give hilariously. God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard of that phrase when someone wins on the horses and they laugh all the way to the bank. Have you heard that phrase? We're Christians and we laugh all the way to the offering. Or the standing order. Because we love to give. If it's become a duty or a chore for you, something's gone wrong. Don't give like that. Give cheerfully. Delighted with the sheer privilege of being able to give. Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. We all know that, don't we? The joy it is when we give someone a birthday present. Someone's going to be 40 a couple of weeks' time. I don't know who it is. I know some of you think, no, he can't look 40, but... If you get up close. (laughs) Who do you think I'm talking about? I didn't say any names. No. I'd never do that. We're delighted, aren't we, to give. If we're just someone who says, oh, I just love receiving... I mean, I'm good at receiving. I, you know, Hermie will tell you, I'm good at receiving. But it's better to give than receive. 
Our giving is an expression of whole life discipleship. We give out of a thankful heart. We give to maximize the strategic impact and advance of the gospel. There is no question that we have been able to do what we have done and seen in this place because we have been able to be generous. We started renovating the building with no money. And I did have someone say to me, we should wait till we've got the money before we do it. I think we might not have done it. Sometimes you have to step out in faith. And look all that God has done. It's brilliant. Be part of a church that is generous, that excels in so many things. Paul would just come to us again and just say, yeah, you excel in many things. Excel in this grace of giving. He ends his teaching in 2 Corinthians giving a spontaneous celebration of God's indescribable gift. You cannot outgive the generosity of God. So giving is a joyous celebration to the God who has given us everything. Let's pray. Father God, as we have sung this morning, we recognize all we have is yours. Help us to be a generous church, a generous people towards you and your work and your kingdom, just with the practical things of money. Help us in our own hearts to think, discern, pray, review from time to time how we give and what we give. Because we want to excel in this. Help us. Help us, we pray. Amen. Sorry, I've gone on. I just noticed the clock gone on a bit long this morning. We're going to sing one more song as we close. Let's stand together as we sing.